What are you here for? I don't mean why are you here in this building today, there might be various reasons for that, but what are you on this earth for? What purpose is your life meant to have? These are questions which few people actually take the time to think about. Whether that's due to the busyness of life and there doesn't seem to be the the time to ask those sort of questions. Or whether it's something that people would would rather not think about. And so consciously or unconsciously uh, questions about the purpose of life are pushed to one side. We spend a lot of time thinking about trivial things. But we don't seem to spend anywhere near the same amount of time and energy thinking about what is most important. On the leaflets that we were giving out over the last few days, I quoted the BBC radio presenter Jeremy Vine, who at one point in his life came to the realisation that he had spent more of his spare time repairing a door handle than he had asking what his life was for. And that's one of the things that led to a feature on his BBC Radio 2 programme entitled What Makes Us Human, which is where the title of today's sermon comes from. That radio feature has been running for almost a decade. Each month a different guest is asked the question, what makes us human? And then we get their answer. Last year a collection of various guests' answers were published. Uh, The subtitle was 130 Answers to the Big Question. And the publication of that book was, was, was a great thing and yet I think it was also a missed opportunity. It's a great thing if it gets people thinking and talking about the question of what life is all about. But the reason I say it's a missed opportunity is because the fact that there are 130 answers in the book, all of them different, suggests that the book is more about hearing different people's opinions than actually getting to an answer of what it is that makes us human. And so today we want to hear the Bible's answer to the question of what makes us human. And you have the opportunity to hear that today. These questions that we we, we often try and avoid, push to one side, but God has brought you here today that you might hear the Bible's answer. Maybe you think, well, well, why should I listen to the Bible's answer? But if the Bible really is what it claims to be, a message from beyond this broken world, then rather than looking inside ourselves to try and find what whatever answer we each individually come up with we actually have the opportunity to look outside of ourselves and find the answer that our creator gives and so today rather than than grouping around in the darkness we have the opportunity to come to the light and yet i wonder whether that very prospect makes you feel uncomfortable Could it be the case that we're not actually that keen to find out the definitive answer of what we're here for? And so I want to start this morning not by thinking about the answer, but by thinking about why we avoid the question. Because that tells us something in and of itself. Uh, 
So we have three main headings this morning. They're they're listed on the back of your order of service. And the first heading is why we avoid the question. Why we avoid the question. I mentioned there the possibility that it's busyness that stops us from asking the big questions of life. And certainly our lives are busier than ever. We live in an always-on, hyper-connected, 24-7 world. It can be hard to take a breath, never mind to sit down and think about the question of what we're here for. And yet, at the same time, we've just gone through a period of two years where at times life almost ground to a standstill. Now, depending on your line of work, life may have got busier over the last couple of years, but, but for, for most people, their ability to work was taken from them for, for a while at least, as was our ability to socialise. As a society, we were faced with the prospect of our own mortality as never before. Hospitalisation and death statistics were all around us. And yet, did that lead to people thinking more deeply about what it is that makes us human and what our lives are for? Well, on the whole, there's little evidence that it did. Yes, in the initial weeks of the pandemic, a survey showed that a quarter of UK adults had tuned into a religious broadcast. But that initial concern for anything other than the superficial soon evaporated. And so I don't think that busyness is actually the reason why we avoid the question. In fact, I think Jeremy Vine puts his finger on it when he says that the reason we don't ask is because we're scared to. Because we might not not like the answer. He compared it to his time as a participant on Strictly Come Dancing. He says that none of the contestants ever considered that they were the ones who were going to be voted off. As, as he put it, strictly is like life. Here we are in this magical place, planet Earth. And we seem to think that the dancing will go on forever. What we can never admit is how short time really is. People go missing around us one by one and still we dance. We are in denial. It's quite a good illustration, isn't it? People go, go missing all around us, but, but we... We try and keep on dancing. We're in denial. In fact, Jeremy Van concluded that one of the things that makes us human is our inability to stop the world and ask the biggest question of all for fear that the result will be the end of our beautiful dance. In other words, we don't want to take a break from the fun in order to ask the question of what we're here for because we fear that to do so will be to stop the fun and stop it all together. Vine says that we don't ask the question out of fear. So is he right? Well, biblically speaking, he's right on the money. The Bible is a book of good news. Right at the heart of the Bible is what's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that word gospel literally means good news. Good news. The Bible is a book at its heart of good news. But the Bible is also brutally honest about the human condition outside of Jesus Christ. 
Why? Well, because to appreciate the good news, we have to first face up to the bad news. And yet one of the things that defines us as human beings is that we would rather do anything but that. In his answer to the question, what makes us human, Richard Madeley, out of Richard and Judy, said this. He said, all roads lead to the fundamental question of whether God exists or whether he's simply a necessary fiction to get us through the night. All roads lead to the fundamental question of whether God exists or whether he's just a necessary fiction to get us through the night. And he's right, isn't he? That is the fundamental question. But at the same time, it's not a question we're in the dark about. The book of Romans tells us, For what can be known about God is plain to us, because God has shown it to us. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we are without excuse. Does God exist? We know that he does. Whether we would deny that or not, deep down we, we know that he exists. But what do we do with that knowledge? Well, we suppress it. We suppress it. Uh, Romans again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Uh, and that's speaking, by the way, not just by particularly bad people as we might think of them, but, as all, but of all of us by nature. We suppress the truth. But what does it mean to suppress the truth? Well, have you ever tried to push a beach ball down under the water? It keeps trying to, to pop up to the surface. You can push it down, but, but it's not going to stay down. It won't go away. And as soon as you stop pushing... It will come up to the surface. Well, that's what God says humanity attempts to do with our knowledge of him. And I think that is what Jeremy Vine has actually put his finger on when he says that we fear asking the big questions. Because deep down we know there's a God. But we're worried about what the implications of that might be for us. And so we suppress the truth. In Vine's words, we're in denial. So that's the first thing I want us to see this morning. That this isn't a question that, that we just don't get round to thinking about. But it's actually a question that we deliberately resist thinking about. And we resist thinking about it because we fear we're not going to like the answer. We resist thinking about it because we fear that we're not going to like the answer. And yet that, could, that would be one of the biggest mistakes we could ever make. Because although it is true that asking the question will mean facing up to some uncomfortable truths, not facing up to bad news would be like refusing to open a demand for payment in the hope that it would just disappear. Not facing up to bad news doesn't change the bad news. But also, if we refuse to face up to the bad news, then we will never get to hear the good news. If we refuse to face up to the bad news, we'll never get to hear the good news. What we're, 
we're desperately trying to, to cling on to and, and, and not wanting to ask the question. There's actually something far, far greater that God wants to give us. And that good news is that even though our situation is far more desperate than we feared, that in Jesus Christ we can be more loved than we ever imagined. Our situation is far more desperate than we ever feared. But in Jesus Christ, we can be more loved than we ever imagined. So firstly, this morning, why we avoid the question. Secondly, uh, and now to answer the million dollar question, what makes us human? Secondly, what makes us human is that we are made in God's image. What makes us human is that we are made in God's image. There is a big problem with the way that many people go about answering the question of what makes us human. And that is that they give answers that not all human beings are capable of. Or they talk about things which are only possible for us to do for a certain period of time. For example, many of the contributors to the Radio 2 program have suggested that what makes us human is something which actually that loved one who who died of cancer was unable to do for their final months. But does that mean that because they lost the ability to do X that they were no longer human? Uh, For example, art. Uh, Certainly human beings as a whole produce art and animals don't. And I think Christians can give a better explanation for that than the non-Christian. If the world is about the survival of the fittest, what need is there for art? Uh, Why would we appreciate art? Why would anyone produce art? So humans produce art and animals don't. But that's very different from saying that art is what makes us human. Some of us have never produced anything that could ever be mistaken for art. That might mean we're not very talented, but doesn't mean that we're not human. In fact, even the greatest artist might lose their ability to produce art in the final years of their life. Does that mean that they're no longer human? Another contributor spoke of humanity's need to express ourselves as what makes us human. But what about those, perhaps those with autism, who struggle their whole lives to express themselves? Are we going to say that they are less than human? Others, such as Stephen Fry, talk about words, language or writing as something that sets human beings apart. And certainly those things are are important. But what about the illiterate? What about those who lose their ability to speak due to an accident? And so people's answers to this question are are full of things that human beings can do, but that animals can't. And many of them are little signposts to God uh, and to the fact that we are different things like art, things like writing. Uh, They're things that flow from the real answer to the question of what makes us human, but they're not the answers in themselves. When we as human beings try to answer the question of what makes us human, We can get close to the answer. Many of the answers that people give aren't a million miles away. But the thing about the answers that 130 different people gave in the book version that was published is that they're all different. They're all different. 
And so what are you meant to do? Re- read the book and pick the, the answer that, that, that you think sounds the best? The fact that there are so many different answers suggests that as human beings, maybe we are not actually best placed to answer the question as to what makes us human. To go back to Richard Madeley's answer, the fundamental question is whether God exists. And if God does exist, well that changes everything. And so if God does exist, then all we would need to do would be to see the answer that he gives to the question rather than relying on stabs in the dark. Uh, and in fact, one contributor to the book does point us to God's answer. Jonathan Sachs, the, the chief rabbi, put it like this. He said, even in the age of neuroscience, it's hard to improve on the Bible's answer. We are each, regardless of class, colour or culture made in the image and likeness of God. As the very first chapter in the Bible puts it, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And that means that the person on their deathbed the cancer patient with the driver in who has lost their ability to do almost anything is still as fully human as they have always been and they are still just as fully human as the fully functioning people around them who are treating them. Why? Because what makes them human isn't and never was the fact that they could express themselves, produce art or use language. What makes them human and what will do so up until the very end is the fact that they were made in the image of God. That's very different from the answer of Richard Dawkins, by the way. Maybe you don't like the Bible's answer this morning, but but here is, is probably the most common alternative. Richard Dawkins, he was on the programme He said in his answer, human beings are apes, specifically African apes. As he says elsewhere, he believes that it is a speciesist double standard to assume that thousands of suffering children in Africa are more important than gorillas on the same continent. We might say, well, wait a minute, of course, suffering children are more important than gorillas, but Dawkins says you can't assume that. And if you take away God, you can't assume that either. And at least Dawkins does take his beliefs to their logical conclusion. Remove Genesis chapter 1 and you you remove what Sachs calls the most important statement there is of the non-negotiable dignity of the human person. What sort of culture did Christianity come into? Christianity came into a culture where, where... infants where babies were were routinely exposed if they were unwanted just just left to die christianity came into a culture where uh, where there there was the the coliseum where there were gladiators where, where human beings were torn apart by animals just for sport for fun uh, ideas that we have about the dignity of the human person they come ultimately through the impact of christianity and take Take Christianity away, take God out of the equation uh, and, and, and those ideas soon start to disappear. So 
there we have God's answer to the question what makes us human we are made in the image and likeness of him so we have an answer but what does that actually mean and how how can we square that claim that everyone is made in God's image with the fact that human beings are capable of doing terrible things to one another that, that in Ukraine at the moment human beings are doing terrible things to one another. Well that brings us to our final point this morning. So having thought about why we avoid the question and then having looked at God's answer. Thirdly and finally we want to ask what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? People often hear that phrase image of God uh, and think that means we must look like God. But that can't be the answer because God doesn't have a body. So for us to be made in the image of God, it doesn't mean that we physically look like God. So what does it mean? Well, two words which sum it up are the words relationship and reflection. So when you hear image of God, think relationship and think reflection. Firstly, relationship. To be made in the image of God means that you were made for relationship with God and with other human beings. And for the sake of time today, we'll we'll just think about what it means for us to be made for relationship with God. But but the other one is important. Maybe we'll talk about that at Bible study on Wednesday. But in Genesis 3, we read about God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. By that point, Adam and Eve have rebelled against God. And so when God comes walking, they go hiding. But that description of God coming to walk in the garden seems to be a description of something that happened every evening. God would walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. We don't have time to go into it today but but a strong argument can be made that that was Jesus Christ himself walking with Adam and Eve God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden he he had a relationship with them it's one of the things that marks them out as different from the animals the animals didn't walk with God but they did the idea that this is part of what it is to be made in God's image is backed up by the New Testament book of Colossians where we're told what it means uh, for the image of God in us to be restored. And one of the things that that involves is a renewed knowledge of God. So to be made in God's image means that we were made to know him. We were made to have a relationship with him. And in that relationship, to use some biblical words, we were made as God's creatures. We were made to be God's friends and we were made as his worshippers. Uh, they're all, all biblical uh, words that are used to describe our relationship with God. But that idea of worship in particular is something which a number of guests on the radio show pointed to as what makes us human. One uh, former bishop of Liverpool put it like this. He said, to be human is to worship There's something deep down that forces us to shout out when we see something truly amazing. Imagine a football cup final or a Wimbledon final. If at the final shot all the people in the stands were motionless and silent, it would be weird and unnatural. When we see something extraordinary, we have to acknowledge its worth. 
Now, I think he actually goes, goes off a bit in his answer because he goes on to say, when we see something good or noble or beautiful, we have to worship it. And of course, that's not actually true. We don't worship things just because they are good or noble or beautiful, but we let them point us back to the source of all goodness, beauty and truth, and we worship him, the source And actually, because we were made to know God, we should expect that nothing else will ever be able to satisfy us. And that's exactly what we do find. No matter how much we have, no matter what we achieve in life, no matter what we put into our bodies or do with our bodies, we were made to know God and nothing else can truly satisfy us. So to be made in God's image means that we were made for relationship. A relationship with him as his worshippers and a relationship with people as our fellow image bearers. The second word which describes what it means to be made in God's image is reflect. When people look at us, they should see a reflection of what God is like. Or we could use the word represent. Like someone representing the queen when she's not physically present. We are to represent God on earth. When people look at us, they should see something of what God is like. That's what it means that we were created to bear his image. In America, government buildings by law have to have a picture of the president. People who come to those buildings, they won't see the president, but they will see his image. They'll be reminded of his rule and of what sort of president that he is. And so for us to be made in God's image means that we are meant to reflect what God is like. God rules over the whole earth. He he is present everywhere, but he isn't visibly present. And so men and women, boys and girls are meant to display his image. What does it mean to display God's image? Well, it means that we're to be like him. When people look at us, they should see a picture of what God is like. The book of Ephesians calls Christians to put off the old self and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So in Colossians, God's image being restored in us is tied up with the knowledge of God. And in Ephesians, God's likeness being restored in us is to do with righteousness and holiness. So put them together and they give you the two words, relationship and reflect. (coughs) We're made to have a relationship with God and to reflect what he is like. Our problem is that we fall far, far short of that. The word inhuman has been used a lot recently to describe Vladimir Putin and some of the atrocities that his forces have carried out. And that's an accurate description in the sense that what he's doing is far from what human beings were designed to do. Almost unimaginably far from what we are designed to do. But I wonder if at times we use words like inhuman or animal to use to describe people who do dreadful things. Because their behaviour challenges our view that human beings are basically good. And so if a human being does do terrible things, we think, oh, well, that doesn't fit with my idea that human beings are basically good. So I'll have to describe those bad men as as inhuman, as as animals, because 
that's not what, what human beings do. But actually we have to acknowledge, again to quote Jeremy Vine, that human beings are responsible for great feelings and of course for evil almost beyond imagination. Human beings are responsible for evil almost beyond imagination. Yes, of course, there's a spectrum. Not all sins are equal. Not all people are equally bad. But every one of us have failed in our calling as God's image bearers. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we failed not by a a little, but by a lot. We have fallen short by a distance that is unfathomable to us. But there is hope. Uh, To quote another contributor, in Jesus Christ we see what it is to be truly human. And that's because in the words of the Apostle Paul, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We were placed on this earth as image bearers of the great King, but we have each failed in our task. But Jesus came to earth to perfectly represent God. And then he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven for all the times when we have failed as image bearers or when we've mistreated people made in his image. So what makes us human? Being made in the image of God. That image has been shattered. That's clear from watching the news. It's like, it's like a mirror that's been broken into pieces. And yet through those broken pieces you can still get a glimpse of your reflection. Not perfectly but the reflection is still there. And in human beings the reflection of the creator is still there even though it's distorted. Or to change the illustration the, the image of God in man has been defaced like a great painting that has been graffitied over. But the masterpiece is still there and someone who is skillful enough can restore it. So the Bible's answer to the question of what makes us human, it helps us be realistic about how far short we as humans fall from our original design. But it also tells us how that shattered, defaced image can be restored. And it can only be restored through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, who did what every single one of us have failed to do in that he perfectly reflected God when he was on earth, who could say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus a good teacher? No. He was a good teacher, but but he was far more. He came, he said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Which of us can say that? And then he died so that the sin that mars our relationship with our creator could be forgiven and that Jesus' relationship of delight with his Father could become ours. That by adoption into God's family, we could be not merely pitied by him, but delighted in as a father delights in his son. In fact, as the Father delights in the Son. Amazingly, the Bible tells us not just what might have been if we hadn't blown it, but it tells us how despite everything, it's still possible for us to live the lives that we were created to live. And by God's grace, that is the message that you will hear in this place.
how the shattered image of God in broken people can be restored and how it is possible for us to live the lives we were created to live. Amen. Well, part of what makes us human is worship and we'll continue in worship now as we sing from Psalm number 8. Psalm 8, the A version on page 10, uh, singing about man made in God's image. So page 10 at the bottom, Psalm number 8A. Verse 4 at the bottom of the page asks the question, Oh, what is man? What is man? And that's very close to the question of what makes us human. What is man? What makes us human? And we see part of the answer in verses 5 and 6. In verse 5, a crown of glory and renown has been placed upon our heads. In verse 6, this crown includes the fact that we are on earth as God's representatives. He has made us Lord of his hand's works. He's made a distinction between us and the animals. So as we sing this psalm, we're singing on one level of ourselves, but, but ultimately we're singing about the true image of God, Jesus Christ. You know, for us to be made a little lower than the angels, that, that is great dignity and honour and privilege for us as human beings. For us to be made a little lower than the, than the angels is an amazing thing. But for Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to be made a little lower than the angels, creatures that he made, that was abject humiliation. Jesus' humiliation consisted in his being born. And yet he went even lower. He he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him. And it is his highly exalted name that we praise now with these words. Psalm 8a, 4-7. Let's stand and do what we were created to do.